Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hi, Jim. Kimberly, we've been walking for the last few weeks on Viewpoint through a study of Starbucks. Now, it might yeah. seem like an odd thing, really, but <laughs> Starbucks is kind of ubiquitous. I mean, can you go to a place where there isn't one? I can't think of many places now. There aren't many. I'm sure there are some undiscovered markets at Starbucks headquarters, but <laughs> in the main, they're a global brand. It's one of those iconic emblems of Starbucks that doesn't even need words, no matter where you are in the world. Right. Uh, you could be in China, as I have been, and see that green logo, and you know, oh, I know what that is. And there aren't many things that are so uh, well understood as that logo and that brand is Starbucks. Do you know where the name comes from, Starbucks? I don't, no. Uh-uh. Well, the guys who first formed the company way back in the early 1970s were trying to think of a place name or a name for their coffee company. There's mm-hmm. a little town in Washington State, because this was born in Seattle, called Starbo. And they were oh. thinking, well, Starbo, but that wasn't exactly right. And then one of them just remembered he'd been reading Moby Dick, you know, uh-huh. Melville's classic fiction. Uh-huh. And the chief mate in the narrative is called Starbucks. That's his yeah. name. And somehow it just jumped off the page. And so that emblem of Starbucks is actually, it's kind of a, a connection to the image of the old boat in Moby oh, Dick, you know, the sailing ship. And yeah, they, they'd have the a they'd yeah. have a thing at the front end. And, and so all of that has that history, even though it really doesn't have anything to do with Moby Dick. It's just the sound of the name and the conversation at the time. Huh. And now it's a, a global, global, global yeah. icon. Well, Starbucks does some things well. You can't get to have that much prominence in the world. And so many fans, though we know there are people who don't like Starbucks, you can't have so many fans like you are a fan and I'm a fan without doing something right. And what are those life lessons that we could learn from our local Starbucks? That's our game today on Viewpoint. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Kimberly, I know what you want. You want an iced coffee in a venti cup yes. with two stevia. Yes. And you're you're ready to fly. And a splash of cream. A splash of cream. <laughs> and there you have it. Uh, you are so My ready go juice. At your local Starbucks. I mean, it, it revs you up. Yeah. You know, I was at a local Starbucks not long ago, and uh, I ordered my wife something. She had called me and said, bring this home. And it, it's a vanilla Cappuccino. mocha thing. Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't drink coffee, but yeah. she had texted me what it was. I ordered it. So I'm waiting at the end of the counter for it to be delivered. But the people ahead of me had ordered some other kind of deal with coconut milk. I don't know what it was. And they had some left over. So they had a whole glass full left over. And the gal looks at me at the end. She says, do you want a free drink? I said, what? She said, well, this was left over from the first person that we made the larger size and they wanted a small or whatever. And so I said, sure. So I drank it. <laughs> I'd never had it before. And it was so delicious. I'm only saying this to say that it's a discovery zone at Starbucks sometimes. Okay, yeah. Even though I've been there often, I'm still discovering new things. <laughs> and one thing I've discovered is that there's a certain culture in the company that helps people problem solve. Right. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm reading a book called It's Not About the Coffee, and the subtitle is Lessons on Putting People First from a Life at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And the book is written by a guy named Howard Bahar. And he rose to be an executive at Starbucks. He actually was the guy placed in charge of expanding it into a global brand. So it it outgrew Seattle, and then it grew across the United States. But then Bahar got involved, and they went to Canada, and then across the oceans, and now on every continent. That was his contribution. And as he's walked away from the company, retiring, he is looking back on why it succeeded, and he thinks it's because it's a culture of putting people first. And one of the things in his third chapter that he identifies is, they want 
always at Starbucks for people to think independently. In other words, it's a way of valuing the people around them. It's to say, there are challenges. The world is unpredictable. You may not always be able to figure things out straightway, and we're not going to come from headquarters and tell you about everything. No, we want you to feel empowered to take some chances, what they call leadership courage. That's exactly, that's actually a really great leadership concept. Oh, and everybody who works in the store, it doesn't matter who you are, the barista, the guy mm-hmm. who manages the store, the gal who's in charge, whatever whatever your role, their, their stated intention is to help you have leadership courage. And mm-hmm. if, if people are always spilling their coffee when they walk around that corner, well, maybe we need to change the corner. Right. Or, you know, how is it that you can adapt and adjust and improve to solve the problem, and everybody has the capacity. And in order for that to work in a Starbucks store or anywhere, you have to create the safety to make a mistake, don't you? That's right. I know that I can put forward a a solution to the problem, but I have to take a chance. It might not work, Mm -hmm. but if it doesn't work, I will still not be reprimanded for trying. Yeah. I'm going to be encouraged to think creatively and to think outside of the box and create new products and new ways of serving and so forth. I mean, it's a very obvious truth, but one we don't often get. And so being a person who creates a safe place for others to problem solve, as well as being a person who's not afraid to take a chance problem solving, Mm -hmm. is a part of the culture. Okay, so there's one reason you might say that when you walk into a Starbucks store, more often than not, almost always I find, that the people who work there are somehow engaged. They act like it's... They have ownership. They have ownership. They're invested in it because they've been empowered. That's right. To actually be the masters of their own little universe, mm-hmm. and that works. Okay, wait a minute. How does that, what's <laughs> my life lesson here? Well, I want to be like that. Yeah. I want to live in an environment where I'm free to problem solve, mm-hmm. and I want to create safe spaces for others. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in the Bible, Kimberly, you teach the Bible. You are a graduate and undergraduate professor at a Christian university. And as I'm thinking about this business model, I'm thinking that all good business actually is born out of all good truth. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it's really going to work over the long haul, it has to be grounded in a truth beyond the business itself. I'm not suggesting that Starbucks is reading the Bible as it makes its strategic plan, but I am suggesting there may be some lessons I can learn from that experience at Starbucks that actually prove true some things in the Bible. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to tell us the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, there's there's a store <laughs> where we've got 5,000 customers, and they all need to be fed what to do. It's a famous story, but actually it has some of the same leadership principle in it. Water you turned into wine You opened the eyes of the blind There's no
you know that there's one miracle that's told in all four of the Gospels. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the story one. of the resurrection, of course. Mm-hmm. That's in all four. But otherwise, the miracles of Jesus pop up in some books, but not others. There right. are four Gospels, Matthew, right. Mark, Luke, and John. And this one story had to have such compelling interest, or I would suggest even the Holy Spirit that is the editor of Scripture decided we need to hear it four times. Mm. We need to hear it from different angles, and there are some nuanced differences in the four records of this event, but it's told to us four times, and I don't know about you, Kimberly, but when my spouse tells me something four times, I'm thinking, (laughs) uh, she really wants me to get the message. (laughs) So there's something about this particular experience with Jesus 
that I think heaven wants us to get mm-hmm. deeply. When we think when we think actually about ancient literature, anytime something is mentioned three times, if you see something in a text and it's said three times, we understand that the that the author is trying to highlight bold circle. So the fact that this shows up in four places in all four gospels is a really powerful statement. It's a significant gesture. It's a significant gesture to and it's to say that this was a big deal. This is something that they all remembered and felt like the church needed to know. Imagine in a context, in a world where people are hungry, don't know where their next meal is coming from, that Jesus feeds them. And not just a couple, 5,000. This is what it's a 5,000 men, so we're not even talking about women and children. That are also surely present. Yeah. So this is a phenomenal exponential miracle that they have to convey. And I love this story in the context of what we're talking about today, Jim, because in the Gospel of John, when we look at it, there's this interchange where Jesus actually invites Philip to problem solve. You might say the barista in front of the crowd. He's being (laughs) dared to come up with a solution. Yes. Read us the story. It's in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed up on a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him, and turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, Now go and gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Jesus knew how to get things done, and he knew how to solve big problems. But what's so striking in this story, there's so much we could draw from it, but in this context, what's so striking to me is even though he had a plan and knew what to do, he didn't disclose it right up front Mm -hmm. because he respected and he loved and he wanted to call out of his friends, his co-workers, things that they didn't even know they had. And so as the crisis is developing, and it is a crisis because you've got a lot of customers, we might say, who are going to be demanding some bread here. He looks at Philip and says, what are you going to do about it? I mean, it's so extraordinary. It's an impossible problem. 
but he still wants to put Philip in the position of problem solving. Right. It is so, in a way, respectful. It's not in a way to diminish Philip. It's to say, Philip, I think you have inside of you the capacity to think through some things here. Philip fumbles his answer a bit. I mean, <laughs> because Philip does what most of us he do. He speaks his fear. He speaks yeah. his fear, and he actually reduces the whole crisis to an impossible mountain to climb. Right. And he quantifies it with dollars and cents. So much of life is quantified into dollars and cents, isn't it? We mm-hmm. just don't have enough money. If we worked for a year, we wouldn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. The, the whole problem is, is translated into some kind of monetary outcome, which right. seems impossible to achieve. He's not thinking too creatively yet. Right. But the fact that Jesus dared him to try and wrestle with the problem. That's right. Speaks volumes about how Jesus dares us and has confidence in us too. And it also speaks volumes about how Jesus made safe spaces for his disciples, doesn't it? Yeah. Because Philip doesn't necessarily hesitate. He doesn't say, uh, uh, uh. No, he, he's conversant. Right. He's engaging. He's trusting that Jesus may not be persuaded by his answer, or maybe he will be persuaded by the answer, but he's free to speak. And you can see that Jesus uh, interchange with Philip and his the safety of space that he creates exists because then it motivates Andrew, uh, who does have an answer. Now, how we can figure this out, I'm sure they think, I don't know, but we do have this, you know. That's right. Philip, what's your solution? Philip gives an answer that says there is no solution. Well, what have you got, Andrew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and little by little, this band of disciples is awakening to the power of what they can do if they'll cooperate with Jesus. There you go, bingo. This is the answer of life, isn't it? That's right. I want to change the world. I know the world has overpowering problems. Sometimes the challenges before us are so great. It may be up close and personal. Maybe it's on a broader social scale, but it seems so great that I just want to throw my hands up like Philip and say, if I worked on this for a year or a lifetime, Mm -hmm. it would never be enough. Mm -hmm. But Jesus is saying to me, no, Jim, Think of a way. Just think again. Try again. Work on it. And then you need to organize for a miracle. Basically, what happens here is we can only go so far, but if we will do everything we know what to do, God then can pick up the pieces and do beyond what we ask or think. And that's the power and beauty of Jesus. The Starbucks model that we started with today is about empowering people who are a part of the Starbucks team to take the dare, to mm-hmm. problem solve. Answers are not going to be handed down to you. You're going to have to wrestle to the ground, whatever it is. It's a challenge where you work and live, or even on a larger scale for the company. If you're at the headquarters in Seattle, there are going to be some challenges, but you're <laughs> going to have to problem solve there. We're not waiting for the president of the company to have every answer. But how much in life is like that even more powerful and compelling? Jesus is Lord, and if you will surrender your life to him, he can be the president of your company, so to speak, but he's going to ask you to help problem solve. Bring what you have. Bring what you have and give it to Jesus, and then he'll make something out of it. And think out of the box, because you may think, what I have is so inconsequential that it couldn't do any good. No, no, no. That's not the proposition. Give what you have, think boldly, act boldly, and trust Jesus. Well, in your life right now, you may have some problems. You're not sure what to do. And you just wish the president of the company would tell you what to do. And you know what? Jesus is watching over and he's ready to come right alongside. But he's first going to ask you to do some problem solving. How to get started. You can pray with us.
pray? Yes, pray. We're going to talk to God, and God is going to hear. And God will hear your heart. And if you're sincerely looking for wisdom, he's going to answer. Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you sent Jesus into this world. We're thankful for the modeling of Jesus and the stories of Jesus and that Jesus still lives. We're thankful that Jesus has survived the cross, though his body was taken and he was buried. He rose from the dead again and proved that he has power over every obstacle. And we're thankful that he's right now alongside and that his spirit is stirring. And we know, Lord, we have challenges, we have problems. That's the way of this broken world. And we know, Lord, that you love us and you have equipped us to do more than we think we can do. So, Lord, help us to understand what the real challenges are. Help us not be deceived by the veneer, but know what the real issues in life are. What are the real problems to solve? Then help us to do the hard work of thinking and praying and listening and watching. And then bring us to a conclusion, Lord, where we have done all that we can do, and then you make the rest happen for the good. We come to you boldly with confidence, believing that you hear this prayer, and we do it, Lord, in Jesus' name, surrendering ourselves once more into his rule, his lordship, and his way. And we pray in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Close.
You may have a comment, a question, or even a prayer request. Dial this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll-free. We're by the phone with a live voice. 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We want to hear from you this week. But, Kimberly, I know that some people may not be ready to talk on the phone just yet. How can they find us online? Yeah, if you prefer, you can visit us online at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message, and we'll respond to you. CBH. Those three call letters are who we are, Christians Broadcasting Hope. cbhviewpoint.org. You can also send me a letter. Use the Postal Service. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Kimberly, I think there are some people at my local Starbucks right now that are trying to solve the problem. And here's the problem. They don't have enough chocolate-covered graham they crackers on display. <laughs> and they're going to have to figure out how to move them more quickly out of the cabinet to That's the front right. by the cash That's register. Right. But I'm, I know they'll be on it. <laughs> Hope to see you there at Starbucks. I'll be there soon. And we are so glad that you joined us this week on Viewpoint. We hope that when you drive by your local Starbucks, you won't just think about coffee, but you'll think about how maybe there's some life lessons there. And one of those might be problem solving. Jesus asked Philip to do so. He's asking you to do so. And when you try your best, he will do the rest. For all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is both the host and the owner of this broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.